We're up this morning, we're up to Lord's Day 24. But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because that the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law and also that our best works in this life are imperfect and defiled with sin. What? Do not our good works merit which God will reward in this and in a future life, this reward is not of merit, but of grace. But doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. It's evident, beloved, that we have to speak on the relation between justification and good works according to this Lord day. And we will do this, first of all, by calling your attention to the fact that good works cannot be the basis of justification. Uh, secondly, uh, that nevertheless, good works are properly the fruit of justification. And finally, uh, that this fruit of justification has its reward. Not the basis, but the fruit, and the fruit is the reward. Uh, this Last day, beloved, is really a sort of an appendix to Lord's Day 23. In that Lord's Day, we have seen that righteousness is by faith only that righteousness cannot possibly be the fruit of good works. We saw that even though our conscience condemns us, condemns us so far uh, that we cannot hope to feel in our heart 
that in ourselves we are corrupt and sinful. Nevertheless, in spite of it all, we are righteous before God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. He will that of course raises many objections. And those objections the Catechism attempts to answer in Lord's Day 24. Uh, those objections are in the first place that this is not scriptural. That is rather a serious charge. Nevertheless, that charge is made in regard to those that believe that they are righteous without works whatsoever. And then there is also the charge of God that this doctrine makes men careless and profane. In other words, they come to the conclusion on the basis of this righteousness of faith and the righteousness that, that is in Christ only, they come to the conclusion which the Apostle already mentioned in chapter 6 of the Romans, which was read in this morning hour. What shall we say then? The Apostle asked. What shall we say? Say, in what respect? Well, in respect to the question of whether we are righteous without any works at all. What do we say then? Is not the logical conclusion that if we are righteous without any works whatsoever, the best thing to do is to continue in sin? Then, at least, the fruit is that grace may abound. And the apostle answers, God forbid. How shall we? And there is the ground of it all. How shall we that are dead to sin live in a longer than in? Mind you, we are dead and not simply in sin as the natural man is, no, but we are dead to sin. And if that is the case, if we are dead to sin, then surely it follows that we cannot live any longer therein. And again, the apostle continues, in the same chapter, know ye not that as many as were baptized into Jesus Christ 
were baptized into his death. You understand, beloved? Understand that uh, the apostle pictures baptism as passing from one side of a stream or river to the other side. And when we are baptized that way, and baptized through that water of baptism, then, of course, we are alive unto Christ. We are baptized into Christ. Therefore, the apostle said, we are buried with him. Just as Christ was buried, so we are buried. We are dead with Christ. We are buried with him by baptism into death. And that light, and that's the positive idea, of course, and that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So certainly the doctrine that we are justified by faith in Christ only does not make men careless or profane. Our old man is crucified with him, the apostle continued. And for that uh, he that is dead is freed from sin, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over us. So it is also with us. But I will not quote any more. And... Uh, therefore, beloved, the catechism in this uh, 24th Lord Day answers uh, the objections uh, that are raised against that doctrine of free justification. And, of course, there are several uh, that uh, object to this doctrine. Several. I mean, is several six. Uh, there is, in the first place, uh, the sect uh, that is called Nominians. That one sect. Nominians, beloved. The name Dominions might literally be translated lawyers. That is, they want to keep the law. That's all right. But they want to keep the law and they must keep the law according to their conception, according to their theory must keep the law in order to be righteous before God. That one sec. And they say moreover, beloved, 
uh, that it is true of her, uh, that uh, the law has no more dominion over us, all right. They admit that. They admit that they cannot be righteous through the law only. But seeing that God knows that, and that God maintains that the law cannot possibly be kept by the natural man, God has placed faith instead of the law. We cannot keep the law, all right. But uh, God has placed faith and the works of faith instead of the law. Now, if we keep the faith and if we perform the works of faith, then, according to them, we are righteous. You understand that that is not the doctrine either of Scripture nor of the Heidelberg Catechism. That is not the truth. As the Catechism has it, beloved, in the first question and answer of this Lord Day, in the first place, uh, that is impossible because even our works of faith are never perfect. If we examine our own conscience, we will easily admit that. We have faith, yes, that's true enough. And we must live, and we do live by faith, all right. But does that mean that even though faith does not sin, a man is not still there, and that we still are imperfect, therefore, that we sin day by day, and moment by moment, I would say, of course not. That is not true. And besides, the Catechism tells us that even though those works of faith were perfect, so suppose, which is not true, but suppose that the works which be performed by faith are perfect, does that merit anything? Can we merit anything by our good works? Is that possible? As is the doctrine of the covenant of works, beloved, uh, they claim that, of course, in paradise, Adam could uh, merit uh, eternal life, but that is nonsense. No man can merit anything by doing any good works at all. Why? Because 
they are holding to do good works. Every man is. We all must do good works. That does not make uh, God obliged to uh, give us a reward. Of course not. Even if Adam had lived a thousand years and had perfectly performed the law of God, he could not have merited eternal life. Of course not. No one can merit anything with God simply because he is a God and God makes him a servant and a servant must work righteousness. So that is impossible. No mission, beloved, or no minionism, which is the same, no mission is certainly not according to Scripture, and certainly not according to the experience of the people of God. Another theory is that of the Roman Catholics. Uh, they believe, beloved, indeed, uh, that Christ has finished everything so as to uh, make us partakers of eternal life. That is true, they say. Nevertheless, according to them, the sin, the temporal sin, which we perform or commit rather, must also be, what shall I say, paid. The debt of temporal sin must be paid. And Christ did not do that. Christ did not merit uh, the uh, temporal sin and its obligation. Oh no. And therefore, they say, uh, Christ certainly uh, makes us partakers of eternal life. But the temporal sins must still be paid by ourselves. And it's all right if we uh, pay the debt connected with those temporal sins in this life so that at the time of death we can go to heaven immediately but that doesn't happen very often, beloved. And I tell you, the longer the theory of the Roman Catholics concerning those temporal sins are taught, the more people at the end of their life must say that they have not paid for the debt of temporal sin. The result is, and that is also quite uh, uh, 
theory of the Roman Catholics, very, very uh, strong theory, the result is purgatory. You ask, say, the Roman Catholic, whether Kennedy went to heaven. Uh, they will undoubtedly say, oh no, he didn't go to heaven. He went to purgatory. And we must pray for him. And the more we pray for him, the sooner Kennedy will uh, leave purgatory and go to heaven. That's true of every saint, beloved. Oh, there may be few exceptions. And not only that, uh, but that theory of purgatory is also very profitable theory in the sense that you could pay money to get people of, out of purgatory. You don't only have to pray for them, you can pay for it too. I don't have to answer that stuff because that's so corrupt, beloved, uh, that, uh, oh, you know the story of Tetzel at the time of Luther. You know that story. Had uh, uh, went uh, around the streets of Germany with uh, a box and he had a sign on that box uh, the moment the uh, uh, money sounds in the box that moment the uh, saint is going to heaven out of purgatory that is the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church today don't you forget it and finally there is the very opposite of the nomistic theory or the Nominian theory, which is called antinomianism against the law. Uh, they are sick, beloved. We mustn't have that either. Uh, oh, we may be inclined, inclined, at least some of us, uh, to adhere uh, to that theory of antinomism. Uh, but that is a very corrupt theory, beloved. Uh, they teach exactly what the apostle condemns in chapter 6 of Romans. They say, oh, don't talk to me about the law. Don't talk to me about the law. I cannot keep the law. They add to Nomen and says, I cannot keep the law. So I don't even make any effort to keep the law. Moreover, uh, don't talk to me about good works. 
That's nonsense. We cannot do good works. And therefore, I, the antinomian says, I will not even try to do good works. I will be humble. As if that is humility. Many of those antinomians still exist. And they even have a church, have churches of their own belong. And they claim to be the only reformed people there are. And they walk in uh, black suits and black caps and everything must be black and they must not come to church without any uh, black clothes and so on and so forth. That's their humility. And therefore they say, no, don't talk about the law and don't talk about good works. Just emphasize that no man can do good works. That's all you have to do. Well, I don't have to say much about that, beloved. Because uh, uh, that is simply contrary to all the scripture ever teaches. All the scripture teaches is exactly this. That although we cannot be perfect in this present life, although we have only a small beginning of the new obedience, nevertheless, the scripture tells us, beloved, you and me, that we must fight the good fight even unto the end. Fight the good fight in our own nature. Fight the good fight in the world. Fight the good fight throughout our life always. That is scripture. And therefore, oh no, we do not say that... Uh, Good works are a condition unto salvation. No, sir. We do not say that by good works we can merit salvation. No, sir. We do not say that our good works can ever be the basis of our justification. No, sir. But we do say, and that's also the teaching of the Catechism here, we do say, beloved, in the first place, that good works are the necessary fruits of justification. If we are justified. We shall do good work. Moreover, if we are justified, 
We long to do good works. If we are justified, beloved, then we strive to do good works. And we must also do that. We must have nothing of that sickly antinomianism. And that's the catechism, too, all the way through. Uh, why must we do good works? And so on. But then, uh, doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means. Uh, for it is impossible, mind you, it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. That is impossible. Let's ask the question a moment. Why? Why are they impossible? Impossible it is. But why? Beloved, it's impossible because Christ has merited it all for us. Everything. Christ has merited, oh, to be sure, he has merited for us eternal life. By his death and resurrection and exaltation at the right hand of God. That's one thing. Christ has merited all for us. Uh, when I say I mean uh, when I say all beloved I mean Christ has merited not only eternal life for us but he has also merited the privilege to do good works don't forget it as we are by nature Oh, we cannot do good works, of course not. But as we are by nature, we may not do good works. A strong language, but that's true nevertheless. We may. Why not? Because we are guilty. And that we are guilty means, beloved, that we have no right to anything whatsoever. We have no right to the privilege of doing good works. We mean, we can't, we mean. We mean and we can't. That's right. That is the truth. Still more, a Christ has not only merited 
everything for us, including eternal life and all the rest. But Christ has also merited for us faith. How come that we believe? Oh, it is true. A Christ implants the faith in our heart. Faith is of Christ. But we go a step further below. Christ has merited for us the privilege of being implanted to him by true faith. Faith itself is merited by Christ. I talk about uh, faith and its fruit unto good works now, but in order to understand that, beloved, you must understand uh, that there is nothing that Christ has not merited for us by his death and resurrection and exaltation. And of God. Christ has merited for you and for me the Spirit. And God gave Christ the Spirit in order that he might cause that Spirit to dwell in us. And through the operation of that Holy Spirit, beloved, we are beginning to be able to do good works. It's all of Christ. Nothing of us. And that is uh, also the idea of the reward of grace, beloved. It doesn't, uh, the catechism asks, uh, does not, uh, do not our good works merit, which Christ, uh, which God nevertheless will reward? Catechism says, sure, 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 God rewards our good works, but even that reward is, is uh, of grace. Not a work. I took the trouble of uh, making a few quotations from Kipchi, beloved, in order to show, in the first place, uh, that the Word of God surely teaches that that. Uh, God rewards the good works. No question about that. In the second place, uh, nevertheless, uh, that even that reward is not of works, but is of grace. So I quoted a few texts. Is the reward according to Scripture? Reward of good works? Oh, yes. Listen. Luke 18, 29 and 30. And that was an answer to Peter's quest 
question. Peter was always full of questions, you know. And sometimes they were pretty good too. So uh, Peter asked the question, uh, Lord, uh, we have followed, we followed thee all the way along. We have followed thee. We left everything and uh, followed thee. What shall we, what shall we receive? And the Lord doesn't say you shall receive nothing. Oh no, listen. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that he, that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive many fold more in this present time and in the world to come life eternal. You understand, of course, that when the text says here, we shall receive manifold more, uh, that does not mean we shall receive more money or more houses or more possessions. That means, beloved, that we shall receive con constantly more grace, more blessings, more eternal life. Romans 8, 17, you know very well, if so be, that is, if we walk in the proper way, if so be, that we suffer with him, with Christ, that we also may be glorified together. Notice, there's a connection, a very evident connection, between a suffering for Christ's sake and eternal life and the reward of grace. Uh, that's all included in the text. If so be that we suffer with Christ, that we also may be glorified together. The one belongs to the other. And especially in the epistles of the Hebrews, beloved, I quote the following. In 11, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 13 and following verses, we read, uh, These all died in faith. The Old Testament saints. They all died in faith, not having received the promises. That is, not having received the realization of the promises, but having seen them afar off by faith. They looked, they looked forward. All the saints of the old dispensation looked forward to what? To the reward, beloved. To the reward. Not having received the promises, but having seen the promises. That is, having seen the realization of the promises afar off, and were persuaders of them, and embraced them, and confessed. That's the fruit. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the world. 
that is a very beautiful reward, beloved. That is a very beautiful fruit of the reward of which the catechism speaks. The fruit is that while they expected the promises, and notice that the reward is looked throughout these verses from the viewpoint of the saints themselves. They looked for the promises. And as they looked for the promises, and as they saw the promises afar off, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For they that confessed such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They seek a country. And if uh, truly, if uh, they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have up, had opportunity to return. Yeah, God. Abraham looked for the country that is uh, not for the earthly Canaan. Oh no, he looked for the heavenly Canaan. Nevertheless, that earthly Canaan was a figure. And if they had uh, not believed uh, that uh, the heavenly country was far richer than anything else. They might have opportunity to return. Abraham might have opportunity to return to his father's house, but he didn't. He didn't. They were uh, also Jacob and uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob and all the fathers. They might have had opportunity to return, but they didn't. Why not? Because they looked for the city that hath foundation. But now they desire a better country that is unheavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Well, I must close, I guess. But this is very beautiful, beloved. Hebrews 11:26, the same thing, by the way. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the beautiful, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For they had respect, Moses did, had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Beloved, isn't it plain that Scripture not only teaches the reward, but that scripture emphasizes that you and I may look for the reward. 
And if you have to suffer, that may come yet. Of course, you, you suffer anyway. I suffer. I suffer not only as far as my body is concerned, but I suffered almost all through my ministry. When they didn't want the truth, beloved. And when, because of the fact uh, that I didn't, uh, they didn't want the truth, they cast me out. You know that. I'm not boasting. That is simply the truth. And so it is with you. And so it will be in the future. You have to suffer the reproach of Christ. And looking for the reward of grace, you may well suffer that reproach, beloved, because the suffering of this present time cannot be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Amen. Thanks, O Lord. Thanks for thy word. Thanks for the proclamation of thy word. Thanks that thy servant might be enabled to proclaim thy word. Sanctify it unto us, O Lord. And remember us in mercy throughout the rest of this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.